Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Uh, we are, um, last, this is our last week in sort of a little series we've been doing um, sort of since the 30th of December on like, looking at how we're going to be disciplined in bearing fruit in 2019. Uh, tonight we're going to think about grace, the potent power for devotion, discipline and transformation. Um, We're in the book of Ephesians, um, and and over the course of uh, the last few weeks, so this is week five, we've covered these subjects. So we've sort of, December 30, we sort of looked at thinking about the place of reading the word um, in the life of a Christian and and setting up a a year where we're going to be disciplined people, um, loving God's word, feeding on that, being nourished on the very word of God. Um, Josh uh, talked about how we handle money and our resources with our hearts and hands, and he really encouraged us to kind of approach 2019 with hands that are kind of not grasping and holding on to the resources, the money that we've got, but being generous with what we've been given by God. Um, and so that's one of the, that was that night. Um, I spoke about just the power and promise of perspective and prayer, how when we approach life knowing God's big story, uh, that helps us to deal with our anxieties and stresses. And then we looked at that great promise of God that when we bring our anxieties and, and concerns to God, he promises to give us his peaceful presence. Um, so a real encouragement to set up our year of, of prayer. Last week, Pastor Tran uh, got up and encouraged us uh, to what it looked like to belong, to be- the discipline of belonging and participating in the body of Christ. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and we looked at just the, the significance of how God hasn't just saved us individually, he saved us into a community, and that community is really vital as we journey through life um, and gathering corporately like this, gathering in small groups around the, the juice, the bread, and prayer, etc. So, and tonight, we're looking at this, grace. And here's my idea, um, sheer grace. The grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ stirs our affections, innovates our heart, and ignites our love for God. It is the most compelling and potent power for devotion, discipline, and transformation. My short sort of title for that was going to be um, Grace for the Undisciplined Disciple. That's what I was going to call it. Um, But I reckon grace, the the beauty of the gift of God's grace, is what empowers us uh, to to live a life committed to Jesus, committed to discipline uh, and transformation. we're in, a book, we're in the book of Ephesians. Hope you've got it open in front of you. Um, I think Ephesians is the part of the Bible that I love the most. If you were to hold my Bible, um, this is the Bible I got when I, was, when I first became a Christian about 18 years ago. Um, it's well-worn, but the most war, well-worn pages of my Bible are the book of Ephesians. They're the dirtiest pages of my Bible. Um, they're the ones that when you open it, they just kind of flop open because I feel like I spend a whole lot of time in this wonderful letter of Paul to a bunch of new Christians in Ephesus in the first century. Um, before I pray, just a few little helpful things about the book of Ephesians. It's, it's written by the Apostle Paul, got saved by Jesus on the Damascus Road after he was killing and persecuting Christians. He then went on to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations, um, as he took the gospel across the, uh, the Middle East and, and Greece and in, ultimately into Rome. Um, Paul writes this letter to a bunch of newish Christians in the first century, um, encouraging them to follow Jesus, to know what it is to know Jesus and to know God, and then to what it looks like to live it out. So if you were to kind of, Ephesians, Ephesians is six chapters long. Um, Paul didn't write it with chapters and verse numbers in it. We've added them later, but there's six chapters. Uh, chapters one, two, and three are largely about theology, um, sort of, what do they call it, the indicative 
tense. Like, this is what God has done. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 is the imperative. Now, this is what we're called to do. In light of all that God has done, um, now live for Jesus, love like Jesus, chapters 4, 5, and 6. We're in chapter 2, so we're in the theology part. What has God done for us? And uh, if you want a a summary verse for the entire book of Ephesians, it really is chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things under heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Um, Ephesians is kind of both cosmic, it's massive, but it's also shoot, like zoom, street level, like God has done from the beginning of time to the end. What does it mean for us as well? So um, we're in chapter 2. And verse 1. I'm going to read chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. Would you follow with me? Um, And then I'll pray and we'll feed on this section together. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray uh, by your spirit and through your word that tonight again we would see Jesus. Father, we pray that tonight by your spirit and through your word we would hear Jesus. And Father, by your spirit and through your word we pray that we would love Jesus and respond to his grace that is freely on offer this night and every day until he comes back. So, Father, we want to see, hear, and love Jesus tonight. So, Spirit, work in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What makes Christianity different from all other world religions? What makes Christianity different from all other world religions? Years ago, that question was asked at a conference. Uh, Some participants argued... Christianity is unique in teaching that God became man. But someone objected, saying that other religions teach sort of similar doctrines. What about the resurrection? No, someone said, other faiths believe that the dead kind of rise again somehow. C.S. Lewis came in late into this conversation and he sat down. What's the rumpus about? When he heard or learned that it was about what makes Christianity unique, he immediately commented, oh, it's easy. It's grace. Sounds obvious, isn't it, once you say it? Grace. The grace of God. It's the wonder of the grace of God that is laid out for us tonight in that passage that I just read, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. 
Um, and it's grace that I'm convinced as we read the word of God that brings us into relationship with God, that causes us to love God. And the overflow of that is that as a life that is committed to, to following him and desire to be transformed by his grace ongoing. So this is the wonder of God's grace that we're going to think about tonight. And have a look with me at these opening verses again, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, Paul writes, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, Paul just opens up in chapter 2 in this section of this, of this beautiful letter. He says, you, me, you are dead. You are dead in your sin. Death is the consequence of sin, of our rejection of God. We, we cut ourselves off from God, who is our life. The consequence is we die. And Paul wants to say here, right, when you're dead, you can't know God. You can't relate to God. You know, dead people, right, can't make wrongs right, can they? You know, on your deathbed, it's, it's often too late to fix mistakes. When you're in the grave, you can't apologise to your siblings. When you're rotting in the dirt, you can't restore your relationship with your father. When you're burnt to ashes, you can't tell your children that you love them. Dead. And when you're dead, you certainly can't fix your relationship with God. And Paul says, you know, you weren't following God, you were following the ruler of the air. He says, you once walked in sin, verse 2, walking according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the ruler of this age, this part of the world, the evil one, Satan, the devil. I often swear to Adele not to do this, but I, uh, like a little things just come into my mind. Adele says, don't, just stick to what you're going to say, stick to what you're going to say. But you know when, um, I'm, I'm just, she's not here tonight, so I can just go forever, right? but you know um, Paul, right, the same author of Ephesians, he writes to a bunch of, like another bunch of really young Christians in Thessalonica, and he's reminding them about this, the, the awesomeness of the resurrection. And when he says to them, like, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep in death, he says, just as Christ died and rose again, so you in him will die and rise again to be with him forever. And then there's this wonderful picture. I think it's chapter 4. It's going to be in my funeral, by the way, this, this passage. But um, there's this wonderful picture of, like, what's going to happen when Jesus returns? You're going to hear the... It's going to be better than that, right? But this trumpet's going to blast and, and Jesus is going to come back and he's going to gather up all his people together and to be with him forever. And what he says is he's going to meet, going to meet them, us, in the air. So the final defeat of all that is evil and sin and the author of evil and sin, Satan, on his turf will be gathered up. And here Paul is saying, we, when we were trapped and walking in our sin, we were following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We were following Satan. I mean, a more severe condemnation of all mankind could not be found other than here. And Paul says, verse 3, we all once lived among them. It's sobering. Like everyone else, we did what feels good. We did what gives us pleasure. We were ruled by Ourselves, and that leads to selfishness, which is really to be ruled by the devil. John Calvin, one of my favourite guys, he talks about sin as being this 
problem where we, his phrase is incurvatus inse. Um, I don't know any Latin apart from that. Um, but incurvatus inse is man, humanity turned in on himself. That's sin. You know, sin causes us not to be outward and, and lo- in love with God and, and others. It's about being turned in on oneself. We are ruled by the devil. We were ruled by the devil, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Before the good news, right, you need the bad news. That just makes the good news all the better. But that's the reality that Paul paints for us. But have a look at verses 4 to 6. There's this wonderful but. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 6. Oh, hang on. Go for it. Yeah, there we go. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms that is in Christ Jesus. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. We are following the evil one ruled by the devil, but God intervened. God, who is rich in mercy, this is a merciful God. This is the God that the Bible puts before us is not a vindictive God, not harsh and, and cruel, not spiteful or hateful or capricious, but rich in mercy. Because of his great love for us, because of his mercy. Remember, we were dead, but for his love and his mercy. Calvin says this, I love it. Oh, can you go forward a bit or backwards? I don't know. What's, there we are. Who is rich in me? I love this. His mercy, not our merits, makes us his. Isn't that wonderful? Like his mercy, not our merits, make us his. He's rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us, verse 5, alive with Christ. We were dead in our transgressions. We were, we were dead to God. We didn't know God. We couldn't relate to God. But we are made alive in Christ, given new life, brought back from the dead. He was made alive. Jesus was made alive after being dead and in a tomb for three days. His restored life is our restored life. His, his resurrection will be our resurrection. That's the implication of being united to Christ, being in him Brought back from the, the deepest, darkest hell to heaven itself. And Paul says this kind of baffling little thing, and we were raised with Christ, verse 6. You know, his resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the right hand of God, that's going to be our resurrection and our ascension as well. As death was overturned for Christ, so death is overturned for us if we trust in him. Uh, Calvin says this, it's on the screen somewhere. Sorry, Tran. Here we go. You know, to kind of comprehend the resurrection and sitting in heaven, which is what Paul is telling us, that's who we are, which are here mentioned, are not yet seen by mortal eyes. Yet as if these blessings were presently in our possession, Paul states that we have received them. He's saying, like, all that Christ has accomplished, his victory, his overcoming death, his inheriting the world, that's ours, even though we can't see it. We're united to him and all that he is and has is ours as well. We're seated with Christ. Christ ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of God. He's ruling all things. And verse 6, God seated us with him. There with him, placed in the heavens, spiritually, 
We are where Christ is, right? I mean, I'm looking at you right now and you're going, but Jacko, I'm here in North Adelaide. I'm at 92 Archer Street in a funky old building. I'm not in heaven. And that's true. Like, I'm looking at you. You you can touch, pinch yourself. Like, you really are here. But spiritually, we are where Jesus is. Safe and sound in him. It's wonderful. And as a result of that, we as God's people get to participate with Jesus with him and in him and with all that he has achieved. It's really hard. I reckon this is like a brain-stretching thing, right, to imagine like where, where he is and but yet I'm here and we get to participate in his victory even though I've done nothing to do it. And I was trying to think of like where's, where have I seen this before and I stretched my mind. I haven't got a really good memory, but who, was, who wasn't born in 1998? Okay, you might, or oh, maybe, no? In 1998, anyway, 1998, Wind back the clock to the Golden Globes, the Golden Globe Awards. There's a guy named Ving Rhames. He's at the Golden Globe Awards. He, he just won a Golden Globe for the best actor. And he's up on stage and he called one of his mates, Jack Lemon, to the stage. And Jack Lemon comes up and he gives Jack Lemon this massive hug and a kiss and then just hands him the Golden Globe. And you know, Ving Rhames said, I feel that being an artist is about giving. And I'd like to give this to you, Mr. Jack Lemon, a tearful Rame said at the time. A surprised Lemon responded, this is one of the nicest, sweetest moments I've ever known in my life. Why did he do that? He wanted, Rames wanted Lemon to kind of participate in his victory, to share in the spoils of his victory. He drew him in, he shared the glory. And that's what we get in Jesus. We get to share in his victory. Now, and will be fully realised in the future. We share in Christ's victory so that, verse 7, hopefully coming up on the screen, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Might show the riches of his grace. These immeasurable riches. Literally, it's hyper-abundant riches of his grace. God, who is rich in mercy, verse 4, He's rich in his grace, verse 7. I know, and you know, I'm thinking about this, right? I think we understand mercy pretty well. I think we get mercy. You know, because we can show mercy to someone else. Um, You know, you can set someone free when they deserve imprisonment. We can um, deal lightly with someone when they perhaps deserve a greater punishment. That's mercy. But what about grace? What is grace? Paul offers a clear description of grace in chapter 2 and verse 8, the first half. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you are saved. I think they're five of the most beautiful words that have ever been strung together. By grace you are saved. It's, it's God's gift. Now, if grace is to be a gift, then ironically, it's not like giving a Christmas gift. Um, It's not like, you know, when you give Christmas gifts, right, which we've done not so long ago, um, we give gifts, right, out of expectation. At least that's what I do. I give a gift to someone expecting that I'll get something back in return. Anyone else do that? that? So it's not really gift giving, right? It's gift exchanging, So grace is not like giving Christmas gifts, right? It's this bizarre expression, exchanging gifts. It's not gift giving, it's an exchange. Um, And, you know, at Christmas time, most of my anxiety at Christmas time comes around whether I'm going to give an appropriate gift to someone 
and whether they're going to feel bad or I'll feel bad when the exchange actually happens. Like, is the gift I'm giving kind of going to be on par with what they've given me or is it going to be subpar and is there going to be that awkwardness like it looks like you've spent $5 when I've spent 50 and it gets pretty ugly. But a true gift, right, a true gift is not given with expectation of receiving anything back. It's not an exchange, not out of obligation, no, but out of love. That's grace, unmerited favour, undeserved kindness, a free gift. And in Christ we're given freedom. In Christ we're, we're given heaven. In Christ we're given eternal life. So great is his love, so great is his mercy, so great is his grace, so great is his goodness. He gave his only son to die, to die a horrific death on a Roman cross, to endure the mockery and the ridicule of the passers-by, suffered the full cup and drank the full cup of God's wrath for you and for me. I was, as I was driving here tonight, I was listening to a, a God song, and in this God song it says, as his blood flowed to the ground, he redefined our future. It's grace. We were dead in our transgressions, but by grace we have been saved, and the way we got saved is by God himself coming into the world in the person of his son and being smashed to pieces on a cross so that we might not now experience the wrath of God that we deserved. And it's a gift. And in case it's not clear, Paul goes on in the second half of verse 8. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works. Not by good works. This is not something we we earn. Remember Calvin just said, it's his mercy, not our merits that make us his. It's not by anything we contribute. And faith, right, brings us, you and me, empty to God that we might be filled with all the blessings of Christ. You know, and the, the picture, I was going to read tonight, you know, the, the picture of the thief on the cross, where you've got you know, um, Jesus on the cross on Calvary, and either side of Jesus are two thieves who are crucified with him. On one side, you've got a thief who right to the very end is ridiculing Jesus. You know, if you truly are the Son of Man, then you can just jump off this cross. And yet the other guy, both of these two, right, they, in, I mean, her, a crucifixion is a horrific form of punishment. In the time of day, that's how they, the Romans made a, a scene and, and communicated particular things. But these two guys under Roman law deserve to be there. Jesus didn't deserve to be there. This guy is ridiculing, mocking Jesus at the very end, and yet the guy on the other side sees Jesus. And I love the picture, right? His arms are pinned back. He's got nails through his hands. He's got nails through his feet. He's naked. He can't do a thing. But he looks to Jesus and says, like, you can help me, man. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't sitting there doing good works. He wasn't kind of, you know, reciting Romans 1 to 16 off by heart. He was hopeless and helpless and dead. 
And yet he looked to Jesus and in him found life and life to the full. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's not earned. It's, he didn't contribute anything. We don't contribute anything to our salvation. It's all from him. Remember, we were dead in our sins, unable to please God, unable to do his will, unable to win his favour. But in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are saved. In Christ we are accepted. We are welcomed. We are free. And like I'm, I'm sitting here tonight, and, and one of the great things I love about City Light, you know, North Adelaide, City Light, or Anchor Church in Port Adelaide, one of the things I love about Byron Street is that we just we preach grace all the time. It's grace is at the centre of all we are. We're a gospel-centered, missionally agile, reformed evangelical church. I love all those things. And, and I'm, th- I'm sitting here tonight looking at you guys, and you, I'm thinking, you, go, you guys, you guys know grace well. We teach about grace. We we preach about the grace of God. We exhort one another to delight in the grace of God. We, you know, I know people do Bible college subjects here about the grace of God. You write essays about the grace of God. But I wonder, and I wonder about this myself as well, is does sometimes grace just become a bit theological, like a bit of theological furniture? It's just a word we use. You know, an element that distinguishes us from others. A badge of reformed evangelicalism. We're about grace. But I wonder, have you lost the wonder of God's goodness? You no longer appreciate the richness of God's mercy. You've forgotten the wretched darkness of our sin. Has grace become a little bit pedestrian, a bit passe? Or something that you kind of know so well that you no longer see it? A bit like that, you know, that beautiful painting that you might have hanging on your wall at home or you see from time to time and you look at it every day, but you know, over time you just don't notice it anymore. We bought a picture um, not so long ago um, and we've hung it on our wall. I really liked it. I, I love it. I-, I loved it when I first got it and it's hanging on the wall, you know, great. And, you know, like I walk past it every day and, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, yep, there's that picture. Over time, I just don't notice it anymore. Until, like, we had a thing, we had Stella's birthday party last night, and someone came and said, Wow, I love that picture. I'm like, Yeah, that's really nice, isn't it? Is that what grace is, right? You know, we live, right, in a, we live in a world which is shaped about, it's all about merit, right? So we live in a meritocracy. Where it's all about achievement, what you do, how good you are at something where achievement is rewarded. And I think this affects our appreciation of grace. Like even in church, right, I got saved 18 years ago. And, and I'm still a bit of a, I'm still a punk. But like back then when I got saved, like I was up to all kinds of stuff. And so when God just cut into my life and rescued me and saved me from sin and darkness and hell, like Everything just lit up like the trees looked green. Television was like full colour, like it was wonderful. And like it was all about grace. Like I'm like, I am just a wretched sinner. I'm like the thief on the cross. When I became, became, when I became a Christian, I was reading Mark chapter 15, you know, that moment where Jesus is with Pilate and Barabbas. And Pilate says to the, the baying crowd before him, you know, who do you want? I'm releasing one of your Jewish prisoners today. It's Passover. Who do you want? Do you want Barabbas, who's a murderer, an insurrectionist, or do you want Jesus, who's done nothing wrong? Who do you want free? And they say, we want Barabbas. He can go free, nail Jesus to a tree. At that moment when I was reading, I got grace because I realised I was Barabbas. I deserve to be on a cross 
and yet I got to go free and Jesus was nailed to a tree in my place. And so when I got saved, it was nothing to do with me. It was all about grace. And I was just telling everything that moved about this grace that I'd come to know. And church, right, church was just like, man, I'm just, I want to be at church. I want to be reading the Bible. I want to be praying. I want to be talking to this God who saved me. And it wasn't because like, I'd earned that opportunity. It was just because of grace. And yet I think over time, we can end up kind of thinking, we, we kind of get in by grace and then we sort of feel like we need to stay in by a bunch of things we do. Church attendance, DG attendance, praying every day. But it's all about grace. You know, sometimes I think we get into this trap, I get into this trap of thinking that my performance is somehow equated to my standing with God. If I do X, Y, and Z, then God will kind of be okay with me. But that's it's not the grace of God. You know, and sometimes, right, you, we all say, yeah, I know, I know the grace of God, but like, I want to ask you tonight, do you know the grace of God? Not just do you know the grace of God or know about the grace of God, but do you know God's grace? There's a difference between knowing and knowing. How well do you know God's grace? Like deep down in your bones, in your soul. Anyone seen this film, Goodwill Hunting? It's one of my favourites. Again, as your pastor, I should say, there's some interesting language in it. So if that is unhelpful to you, don't watch this film. But who's watched the film? A few people. It's a great film. So you've got um, Will Hunting here on the right, who's a, a troubled boy genius. He's just, you know, he's a genius, but he's, like, he's had a, a really hard life. He was abused growing up, and that's really impacted his life and his ability to kind of be within society. Um, he reluctantly receives counselling from Robin Williams, but this, his psychologist... And there's this really moving scene um, where they're together and they're thinking about like, just how much damage had been done to Will Hunting by other people that had just really desperately impacted his life. And so he's there and Robin Williams says to him, you know, it's not your fault, Will. And Will goes, I know. He says, it's not your fault. I know, I know. It's not your fault. No, it's not your fault. I know. No, Will, listen to me. It's not your fault. And then Will Hunting collapses in tears. Finally knows it's not his fault. Finally accepts that it's not his fault. Finally believes that it's not his fault in his bones. I wonder if we're a bit like that. Like, are you like that? You know you're forgiven by God. You know you're accepted by God. You know that you're loved by God. But really, do you know it? Like, really know that you're saved by grace. You know it deep down, deep in your core, with all your heart, so that it shapes who you are. God loves you. God loves you. He really does love you. He loves you, and his gift to you, to me, out of his great love for us, out of his mercy is the gift of salvation. By grace, you are saved. So that no one may boast. Verse 10, as Paul rounds it out. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us 
to do. Instead of working for our salvation, Paul reminds us, the Ephesians and us by extension, that we are we're not working for our salvation, we are God's handiwork. He's recreated us in Christ Jesus, made us, saved us. We are his handiworks. The point is, it's not about our works, it's about his works that he does through us. We are created for works. Serve him because we're saved by grace. Because he created us, because he's recreated us, we now do his work. So I want to encourage you tonight, as we face 2019, as we're into it now, survived 46 point whatever it was, million degrees on Thursday, it's well and truly here. Work hard. Like work hard for the Lord. Serve God. Be involved in mission. Be involved in the mission of City Light Church North Adelaide. Serve at church. Serve in DG. Serve others. Love your neighbour. I love one of Martin Luther's quotes. God doesn't need our good works. Your neighbour does. Like as God's people saved by grace, we don't, we're not working to appease God and make sure we're still in with him. The overflow of us being saved by God is that we now well, do good work for the sake of others. We love our neighbour. So work hard for God. Step into those things, that those works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. But let's, let's not in 2019 get so busy for God that we forget the gift of God, his grace. You know, not tirely impress upon others, grace, 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 but secretly, secretly spend 2019 trying to impress God. Not work hard at proclaiming God's grace and yet failing to take time out in 2019 just to delight in the grace of God. Never lose sight of God's grace. I've got four little things to just tie it up with. Um, four radicals. That's what I'm going to do. Because God's grace is radical. And I just want to wrap up with four radical things. A radical power. Grace is a radical power. Grace is a radical, bring, results in radical equality. The grace of God is radical love. And because of God's grace, we can have radical assurance. So firstly, a radical power. Like, again, the message of the gospel is that our problem, as Paul's highlighted, sin, is worse than anything we could ever imagine. We were dead. And yet the power of the gospel is that through grace, we now can know something better than we ever deserved. We can know the love of God, the power of God. So the power of grace... It's radical to innovate us, to enlarge our hearts, to enliven our souls in order to want to follow God, to love him, to live for him. Radical power. Grace also, secondly, leads to radical equality. I posted an article up by a guy named Peter Venner from the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, I think, on Slack um, and uh, on Facebook as well. The power of, of grace, right, is that it's just this real leveler. This brings about radical equality. He writes this, quote, There is a radical equality at the core of grace. None of us are deserving of God's grace. So it's not dependent on social status, wealth, or intelligence. Um, there is an equality between kings and peasants, the prominent and the unheralded, rulers, uh, rule followers, and rule breakers. He wrote that on the, a couple of days before Christmas last year. There's this radical equality from Peter Werner. And I want to quote one of our own, Mark Borlas. 
um, in response to this, he goes, this is quote, he's not here tonight, so we can talk about him behind his back. Um, he wrote, in response to this article, and I think in response to God's grace, he says, quote, there can't be a shred of superiority in us as we witness because we are all saved by grace. Can't be a shred of superiority. Um, we should be able to look each other in the eye, right, and go, yep, I recognise something in you that I recognise in me. A sinner saved by grace. Rich, poor, young, old, professional, whatever it might be. There's this radical equality that comes about through grace. And that just should transform our communities. That anyone who comes through that door, that door or that door, wherever, into any part of our community, ought to be loved and welcomed and be shown the grace of God. Radical equality. A radical power, that's grace. Radical equality, that's grace. Radical love. You know, grace, right, thrusts us out into the world with the love of God, with the good news of the gospel. You know, if I can be saved, then anyone can be saved. It's not about our works. And so we go out there with the power of the gospel of grace, this love that is like no other. It's a radical love. And fourthly, radical assurance. As I've gotten older and maybe preached a few more sermons, I I often find myself landing sermons and going, this is the five things we need to do. Bam, bam, bam. You know, like all these things we've got to do. And, And I just want to remind you tonight that the grace of God, it's not by our works, it's by his love for us, his mercy. If you're in Jesus tonight, he loves you. And you are assured of your salvation today, tomorrow, and when you see him and enjoy him forever. Remember Calvin says, it's his mercy, not our merits, that make us his. By grace, we are saved. So brothers and sisters, this year, when life, when the ministry you're involved in here at City Light, when it seems hopeless, remember the grace of God. In 2019, when you're tempted by sin, remember the grace of God. 2019, when you're tempted, right, to just give it all away, just to walk away from church when you're walking away from Jesus, remember the grace of God. And when it comes to Judgment Day, when you face God, remember the grace of God as he welcomes you in. And scandalously, you get to be with him and enjoy him forever. All because of the grace of God. What I thought we'd do, it's a bit radical, it's a bit crazy, but I thought we'd sing, just a cappella, with no words. I thought we'd sing the first and last verse of Amazing Grace. Um, I'll lead you, but... You'd be well to sort of sing loudly and drown me out. That would be a good thing to do. But um, it's an anthem, right, that Christians for many, many, many years have sung to remind themselves of the reality of God's grace, that it's not our works. We come to God with empty hands, right? And yet he fills us with his love and his mercy. And it's, it's grace that saves us. It's grace that will lead us home. And... Uh, It's a wonderful thing to do. I like to sing.
But again, as I said, sing loudly or else it'll just be me and that won't be good. So uh, you can stay seated. I'll stand. But I'll lead us first and last verse. Ready? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. When we've been there ten thousand years, Bright shining as the sun We've no less days To sing God's praise Than when we first begun Let me pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace. Uh, we, we stand, we sit here tonight as men and women who know that we don't deserve your love. Father, our turning our back on you meant that we ought to have been cut off from you and shut off from life forever. Father, we pray with thanks that even though we deserved hell, you saved us because of your great love and because of your mercy. Father, I want to pray tonight that we would just, afresh tonight, just revel in the grace that you've shown us. That, Father, we would never, 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 never stop living by grace and independence on your great love for us. Father, thank you that it's grace that saved us, it's grace that will lead us home. And we pray with thanks for graciously saving us into a family to encourage us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So, Father, Father, by your grace, keep us in your Son. Help us to keep loving one another. Help us to shape our lives around a desire to bear fruit for you through prayer, through giving, through belonging, through being with one another. And so, Father, we pray that we would bear much fruit for your glory and our good in 2019. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.